0: Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Shout out to Devin Russell and Michael Anderson for that sick intro. Miss you guys. Um, there's your little shout out. Um, and hello to all these listeners. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, or whenever it is that you choose to listen to this podcast. I am recording this the day after Groundhog's Day, so happy six more weeks of winter, or whatever it means, I don't actually know. Um, My name is Caleb DeWitt, and I am a senior chemistry major with a minor in Spanish. After I graduate from this fine undergraduate institution called Truman State University, I am planning on attending graduate school to pursue my PhD in physical organic chemistry. I'm gonna be a doctor, baby. Um... (laughs) If you know me, like if you really, really know me, um, you know that I only have one true love, and that is chemistry. You know that if anyone asks me anything related to chemistry or why something behaves the way it behaves, I will sit and think about the chemistry of that thing for the rest of the day, and I will talk your ear off about it too. I will talk about chemistry to just about anyone who is willing to listen so much so that I've gotten into this really bad habit of forgetting what that, forgetting that most people don't know what I'm talking about or care to know what I'm talking about most of the time. And thus, when I am talking about chemistry, I lose all social cues. And I think that's what true love is. Being so engrossed by your focus on that thing that you lose all care and forget about the opinions of anyone around to see. Lord, may I one day learn to worship you the way that I have worshipped chemistry. God help us. If you listened to last week's podcast, you heard from John, who is a history and linguistics major, and he is also one of the six people who lives in my house. One thing that I love about the Halley Hotel, located at 916 South Halliburton, look us up on Facebook, is that all of its current residents have a different area of study. Jake studies economics Jack studies exercise science. Tyler studies Meredith Gleason. Uh, that's a joke. They're engaged. Uh, congrats to them or whatever. Um, Tyler actually is working on his business degree. Avery studies linguistics and Japanese. And John studies history and linguistics. And then there's me, Caleb, and I study chemistry. It is incredibly interesting to me that despite our various passions and courses in life, we all came to the conclusion to worship... The same great God, which is also what somewhat indirectly brought us together under the same roof. And uh, we also have different brains that think about our surroundings and thus God differently, all bringing different insights, opinions, and interpretations to the table. So here we are, the day after Groundhog's Day, recording a podcast in an empty room in the CCF house with nothing but my computer, a cup of tea, and a microphone which is to say, the least incredibly uncomfortable, though it is made slightly more comfortable with this picture of a full Violet Hall 1000 in front of me. So today, the day post Groundhog's Day in this podcast, I would like to address the uncomfortable question that I know many people think, but may be too afraid to ask. A controversy, if you will. Something that a lot of people probably think about on a surface level. But the second the internal quarreling dives past that, they reach too many contradictions, or their questions only raise more difficult questions that they don't know how to answer, and thus they stop thinking about it. Because the uncomfortable things, especially those that cause us to question our beliefs, are scary and quite possibly the greatest threat to our faith. This controversy is less common within the church and more common on the outside looking in, as I've come to find, Regardless, the question that I want to address today is, how can someone who believes so deeply in science also believe in God? This question implies that somehow a God that is infinite, that cannot be completely understood, a God that is mysterious in ways that man cannot even begin to comprehend, is contradictory to the limited knowledge of man. It is to say that a God that cannot fit inside a box, cannot fit inside the box of science. Somehow the creation story of Genesis 1 is not exactly like the creation story that scientists have come to develop and thus science must be wrong or God must be wrong. So if you are still listening, keep an open mind. And remember that I am no expert in anything yet. Um, So I will likely say something that makes you say, no, I definitely don't believe what he just said. And that's okay. Because I am not trying to convince you to think the way that I think. I am just trying to convince you to think, period. I really only have the time to address this idea of creation, uh, but that's a honkin' subject anyway, so hold on tight, we got a lot to cover. The first thing I want you to remember about Genesis is that it was not written by God. The day after He made the heavens and the earth, He did not sit down on His seventh day and say, "Today I shall write a book and call it Genesis, meaning beginning." And it will go against this science that I have just created and make man question everything they think they know. Ha ha ha! That's what God talks like. I've met Him. Um, Genesis was written. <laughs> Genesis was written by Moses. Um, Some hundreds to thousands, uh, I don't actually know, I was too lazy to Google it, and I don't know a lot of things, Um, but probably thousands of years post-Adam and Eve in the Garden. At least that is what we believe. And yes, Genesis is still the Word of God, um, and it was inspired by God. I am not saying it's not the Word of God. However, maybe Genesis was not written as a historical text, meant to lay out exactly what God did but instead a cultural text for the Hebrews to look back on, anecdotes to help remember the character of God, to remember not just that he created the earth, but that he did it with great care and tenderness, that he rested on the seventh day, that he is mighty and all powerful and the sovereign creator of man, but that he also sculpted Adam out of the very dust they walked on through the desert for 40 years. Maybe God, a holy being, who exists outside of time, didn't make the earth in a set period of time? Maybe he didn't actually make the earth in seven days, seven rotations of a rock uh, that hadn't even been created yet? But maybe Moses just used the number seven, the number of completion, so that God's people could look back when they feel incomplete and remember that God says otherwise. Maybe it took God no time at all. Maybe he really did just snap his fingers and it was, and then he had Moses write all this fiction down so that we could see his intentions. Or maybe, just maybe, it took thousands of years Millions of years? And maybe it even took 13.7 billion years? Maybe a god that exists outside of time created Earth on a timeline that doesn't even make sense to our small little brains, and that is why scientists struggle with the timeline of Earth. Maybe the evidence that points towards a Big Bang, and thus it was, Was actually evidence of God creating everything at once. Notice that I'm not saying that the evidence is wrong, Uh, I'm just saying that maybe there are other conclusions that don't make sense to our human brains. Uh, But maybe our God did not snap his fingers. Maybe he carefully, meticulously created everything over the span of billions of years. By hand, he picked the quarks that would come together to make subatomic particles. He crafted every atom, bonded every molecule, fused every nucleus. He looked at every speck, and he knew when you would interact with each one. He sat down at his workbench and wrote out the physics, invented quantum mechanics, defined the laws of gravity. Maybe he hand-painted every nebula, ignited every supernova, compressed every black hole, until finally he found the sun that would be the light to your world. Let there be light, he said. And it was. Maybe he hand-scooped the molten rock That would eventually cool into the home of his greatest creation, molded it by hand and placed it, and it was. He set the earth in motion. He allowed the crust to cool, lifted up his rock so that the heavens might rain down water from the firmament to create the oceans and the seas. He tilled the earth all by himself with a single plow, like a husbandman preparing his vineyard for new growth. He sowed every seed, trimmed every blade of grass, stretched the trees to the skies above. He chiseled out the mountains, paved every river and stream, ground every grain of sand, dug out every cave, and lit every volcano. And at this point, only three days and 10 billion years had passed. The next few he spent perfecting life, because his greatest creation couldn't be a test run. He started in the sea, developing the endosymbiotic relationship to move from prokaryotes to eukaryotes to tissues, designing every organ, assigning every function, greeting biology as it was made, then finally... He gave legs. He made every creature of the earth and fowl of the air, and another two days and three billion years passed. Finally, after five days and 13 billion years, God said, let us make man in our image. Carving man out of dust, it only took a day and 14 million years or so for man to evolve, to match the greatness of the image of God. And God saw that it was good, that it was very good. And he rested on the seventh day. Here's what I'm getting at. You can't say that science is wrong because God doesn't fit inside the bounds of science. God never designed science to be something he could be defined by. However, our limited understanding of science and the way the world works does fit inside the infinite bounds of God. Science is not wrong, and God is always right. The reason I wanted to talk about this subject is because it shouldn't be taboo to say that God and science go together beautifully. Last year I was in a professor's office with a Christian friend of mine talking about CCF stuff and God and faith or whatever, I don't remember. And this professor stopped and asked, wait, you guys are Christians? As if she had never met one before. She began to explain that she was also in fact a Christian, uh, but she was surprised to learn that anyone else in the chemistry department also believed in God because none of the professors did. Somewhere along the way, our narrow-mindedness and closed-off beliefs have made it worth hiding that a woman of science that God created was also a woman of God. When, uh, when Mare asked us to do these podcasts this semester, um, she gave us a list of questions to think about. And I wanted to end by talking about uh, things that I've learned in chemistry um, and how they have influenced my imagination and understanding of God. But first, um, let me give a quick crash course on the Schrodinger equation. It has more to do with a cat. If you are unfamiliar with the Schrodinger equation, I encourage you to Google it. Um, and hopefully you will see the simplest form, that's only four terms, something like something like h-hat uh, psi equals e-psi, which is um, a Hamiltonian operator represented by h-hat applied to a wave function represented by the Greek letter psi, will produce some energy value e multiplied by the same wave function psi. This is to say that if I apply the proper oper- proper operator to a wave function that defines a system, I will get the information out that I am looking for, but the wave function will remain the same. This is to say that a wave function on its own is meaningless. Uh, it doesn't define anything, it's just an equation that has numbers and, and variables in it. It doesn't define anything unless an operator is applied. One of my professors said, it's like knowing the right question to ask to get the answer that you're looking for. God is like a wave function. He is still God on his own. He does not need you to interact with him. And yet, he holds all the answers you could ever need. But staring at him, or interpreting the text on its own, is not going to get you anywhere. Sometimes you need to learn to ask the right questions. To have a conversation with him. To apply the right operators, and learn how to properly read his word. And sometimes, this requires some advice. Trust me, it took me a few office hours with my professor before I fully understood how to apply a, a Hamiltonian. And the greatest part about it is, no matter what operator you apply to God, you will always get the same wave function back. God is unchanging. But your beliefs may not be. So question them. And don't be surprised when God shows up in the middle of you questioning your faith. May we begin to learn the proper operators, to learn the momentum and position of God. May we begin to observe his presence and move with it. And would we remember that the limit of his energy is zero because he cannot fit inside a box. That's a little joke for my particle-in-a-box fans. And may I learn to one day worship you, O Lord, the way that I've worshiped chemistry. I'm going to leave you with this quote from Franz Wright. And by the way, thank you for keeping your face hidden. I can hardly bear the beauty of this world. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen.